Assalamu alaikum and good evening. Welcome to the latest episode of the Arabic in 60 Steps podcast. In this episode, it'll be quite a relaxed walkthrough of something which I think is really interesting. There's a topic in the field of Islamic studies around the eloquence of the Prophet We can look at a hadith recorded in any of the great hadith books and we can analyze the style in which the Prophet himself used in conveying Islam to the people. And I think that this is an underrated field of study, to be honest. Like we, we can talk for great lengths about the eloquence of the Qur'an and how Allah communicated with mankind. And indeed in the Arabic in 60 Steps program, we have distinct lessons on the Qur'an revealed in Mecca versus the Qur'an revealed in Medina. Specifically for this point that we analyze the way that Allah communicated to mankind for those particular settings and for those particular purposes. But we seldom do the same thing for the actual speech of the Prophet And of course, with him being the Prophet, with him being the final messenger and the guidance for all mankind, um, his speech in another sense is another type of wahi, is in a sense is another type of revelation. Not, with, not one which we use in a liturgical setting. We don't recite the hadith in our salah. We don't, we don't use the hadith for du'as or, and things like that. Um, like we don't use the hadith as supplications, for example. We can take supplications from hadith, of course, things which the Prophet himself said, and um, there are examples from the hadith that we can learn when the Messenger would use things from the Qur'an, for example. But, um, but yeah, nonetheless, it is still a type of wahi. And it is, um, you know, in terms of um, issuing rulings, um, in a sense, in like a shari sense, they can be... You know, just as the Qur'an can legislate things be wajib, or things be mustahab, things be compulsory, or things be um, liked, um, or praiseworthy, the speech of the Prophet can be as well. So what I want to do is I want to share with you an essay which I wrote in my second year of my Arabic language degree. Uh, it's not an especially long essay, it's 2,750 words, and I received um, a first um, in this essay. Generally throughout my studies I was like a high 2-1 student, sometimes first. So like overall it averaged out like a high 2-1, um, what I actually received in my degree. But, um, but, for, but among the, um, the modules where I received firsts in, the Somali language was one, and um, traditions, um, this actual essay, um, I'll give the title in a second, but the, this module in my second year was called The Biography and Traditions of the Prophet so of course this is a second year um, essay from an undergraduate degree so it's not groundbreaking research in academia like many of my students who are university professors and have master's degrees and stuff um, I'm not expecting you to be blown away by the the phenomenal command over essay writing and things like this but um but nonetheless uh, it is still beneficial um, to get into it so yeah, I only just received a first, actually. 73% I received. You need a 70% to get a first. Okay, so what is the title of this essay? It is, Analyze the distinctive language and style of the Prophet Muhammad wasallam's traditions in terms of their suitability for conveying Islamic teachings. So what I'd like to do is I'm going to read this essay for you. Um, I'm not an especially good reader, um, so I will kind of furnish this essay with Arabic interjections where I think it's necessary um, because in, in, in a second year um, essay for a module which is not the Arabic language um, you're not expected to use Arabic terms in there or quote the hadith and stuff in, in Arabic you do in your final year and in your third year you have to 
but uh, so there's English translations issued here. So I'll provide references as well for um, yeah for all of the for all of the hadith which I mentioned, anything from the Quran and anything that and anything like that too. Good. Okay. Uh, what else is there to mention before getting into it? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, a big part of why I wanted to do this as well is, as um, as someone who resonates with uh, with with minimalism, I consider myself a minimalist. Uh, I don't like to just hold on to essays. Like, there's loads of this stuff from university. Like, throughout a four year degree, you end up amassing boxes and boxes of notes and it seems silly to throw away past essay papers and things like that so whenever i can make some content for you guys out of it so that i can throw it away afterwards then i will do um so here we go let's get into it so um we'll begin with the first paragraph inshallah and uh, we'll work our way through it so here we go bismillah the Prophet Muhammad began preaching the message of Islam around three years after his call to prophethood at the age of 40 in, t in 610 CE. He preached this message until his death at the age of 62 or 63 in the year 623 of the Common Era. The words of the Prophet Muhammad have echoed through the history of Muslim civilizations and have come down to our present day through both oral and later written transmission. However, Many scholars, both Muslim and non-Muslim alike, have commented upon the language used in the traditions of the Prophet ﷺ in light of why they were and are so effective for conveying the teachings of Islam. Apart from dealing with the general appropriateness of the Prophet's language and etiquette, the two main teachings of Islam that this analysis will deal with are brotherhood and that of jihad. In the hadiths of Islam and the ways in which the Prophet Muhammad's language is apt for conveying these teachings. After the Qur'an, the second type of revelation or wahi in which, Allah, uh, in, which, in, in which Allah has guided mankind was through the speech of our beloved Prophet. Uh, as with all examples of the, of the Prophet are considered revelation, it is important to consider the divine origins of the style and language of the Prophet's traditions. And, and, this, and this is why this essay will comment briefly upon the language of the Qur'an as a platform for analysis of Allah's second form of revelation in the speech of the Prophet. Just as the Qur'an is prided on its beauty and being clear or mubin, as Allah uses that term in the Qur'an, the Prophet Muhammad is said to have come with jawamir al-kalim, or comprehensive eloquence. Just by observing the number of people who have responded to his teachings today, his nature as a teacher was clearly an influential one. When asked about the conduct and behavior of the Prophet, his wife Aisha reports that his conduct and behavior was as the true embodiment of the Qur'an. Uh, by the way, the reference of that is Sahih Muslim, uh, yeah, hadith number 746. And I believe the actual wording of that hadith is, um, is an occasion when uh, a Sahabi called Qatada uh, came to, to Aisha and asked her about... Um, about sort of what is best or something like that and um or you know about, about the etiquette of the prophet and she said like um have you not read the quran and he said of course i've read the quran and she said oh, i'll find the actual wording of it she said so she said for the she said for inna so so verily the khuluq the 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 manners or the etiquette um or the the khuluq the how do I say the way he was created? Yani, you know, um, it was the Quran. She says, "Can al Quran?" Good. Indeed, just as the Quran deserves attention to its linguistic dexterity, so does the speech of the Prophet. We begin our analysis by looking at the ways in which the Prophet's hadiths, the way in which the Prophet prophetic hadiths on the subject of jihad were so effective. Jihad loosely means struggle. 
Its usage in Arabic covers a range of struggles, from inward spiritual trials, or jihad and nafs, to military struggle in the sense of physical battles. Of course, both were realities to the companions of the Prophet throughout their lives in the early stages of Islam. Some distinctive language features in the prophetic hadith which make them so suitable for conveying teachings of jihad are ambition, vocative language, and other features of language and style. In this hadith, in the Jami' of Bukhari, I will read it in English. It is narrated by Abu Hurairah Allah's apostle was asked by a man, what is the best deed? He replied, to believe in Allah and his apostle, Muhammad. The questioner then asked, what is the next best deed in goodness? He replied, to participate in jihad, or religious fightings in Allah's cause. The questioner asked again, what is the next in terms of goodness? He replied, to perform hajj, and then in brackets, the pilgrimage uh, to Mecca. The prominent feature of style used here in the, pro in, in the, used by the Prophet is one of comparison. The fact that these three very important cornerstones of Islam are mentioned together reinforces the importance of each. Firstly, jihad is mentioned above hajj or previously to hajj. In terms of importance, as hajj is one of the five pillars of Islam, this surely raises the status of jihad to higher importance. The obvious structure and the, use of, and the use of the rule of three, which firstly gives the hadith rhythm and also makes it digestible and a concise length. The consistent rule is a distinctive feature of the Prophet's style and gives the listener a very accurate idea of the importance of jihad as it can be com compared to the teachings either side of it, hajj and the tashahud or the shahada, saying that there is no God but Allah and that Muhammad وسلم, is his messenger. Moreover, Neil Robson points out in his article, this man in the, in the tradition it can be seen as an anonymous stock type, which makes it relatively easy for ordinary Muslims to identify with him. Yes, that's something I'm actually I'll comment upon briefly. So, yeah, so, so the, the, the scholar that I talk about here, Neil Robson, a scholar I say in an academic sense, like a Western academic sense, um, yeah, he has, a, um, he has some work on like these kind of stock characters that we find in the hadith. Like sometimes it'll be like Ja'arajulun, like a man came to him, right? And and that's like even though it's not something uttered from the mouth of the Prophet, it's still something captured in the hadith that that individual came, right? And this is an individual, Ja'arajulun. It could be any of us, right? It could be an, any of us who came. Good. Okay, so where am I? Of course, with jihad being an obligation upon all men in Islam, this is a brilliant linguistic technique used in this tradition to make the teaching appropriate to everyone and incorporate a universal message into the traditions. Yeah, by that I mean rajulun is a perfect way of illustrating something that's wajib upon everybody, right? Because it's not a specific individual person who later generations can say, oh, it was, it was emphasized to him because he was a, you know, he was a widow or like it was emphasized to him because he was wearing a red hat or something. I, I don't know. These days, lots of people try to nitpick a hadith and, and rulings and stuff to say this doesn't apply to us because we're civilized or whatever. Anyway, however, to juxtapose with the notion of this stock type character, the following hadith found in the Sunan of Abi Dawood features a companion who is talking directly to the Prophet in an intimate and personal dialogue. However, rather than contradict the benefits of using an anonymous everyman or stock type character. This is indicative of another distinctive feature of style used in the Prophet Muhammad's traditions. Indeed, in juxtaposing these two traditions, we see that the traditions of the Prophet both make the teachings of jihad universal through the stock type character and highlight the significance of the personal jihad for the sake of Allah through the, 
through the intimacy of the companion of the Prophet uh, in, the, in the following hadith. Both of these are of central importance in conveying the teaching of jihad in Islam. SubhanAllah, there's some waffle in this essay. Like, those two, the, like we've done a page and a half now, and I, I think that really could have been like two paragraphs. But anyway, second year, Sam, uh, we, we, we can let him off, hopefully, inshallah. So, yes, there, there's a, a, a hadith uh, narrated in the Sunan of Abi Dawood. Um, yeah, it's Ibn Hawala, I think is the... It, it's difficult to know when you see like a transliteration of someone's name. You don't know if it's like a Hawala or Hawala, but this person is Hawala. His, his name is Hawala. Or, or Ibn Hawala, rather. So on the authority of Ibn Hawala, the Prophet wasallam said, It will turn out that you will be armed troops, one in Syria, one in Yemen, and one in Iraq. Ibn Hawala said, Choose for me, O Messenger of Allah, if I reach that time. He replied, Go to Syria, for it is Allah's chosen land, to which his best servants will be gathered. But if you are unwilling, go to Yemen and draw water from your tanks, for Allah has, on my account, taken special charge of Syria and its people. This hadith features ambitious and motivational language. For the, peop for the people when Arabia... for. What on earth am I saying here? This hadith features ambitious and motivational language for the people. It does, yes. When Arabia, when it was caught between a political rock and a hard place, <laughs> is sitting between two, two huge empires, Rome and Persia. Okay, so the grammar in that sentence is just awful. Like, but, but yeah, but we, we, we get the meaning of it, right? Second year Sam was saying, it is ambitious language, right? Like at, at the time when this hadith was narrated by the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The Muslims had probably very little, um, uh, you know, appreciation or, or real belief, right? They, they believed the Prophet, of course, but they, they couldn't really have imagined only a few years earlier that they would one day be knocking on the doors of Syria and, um, and of Yemen. Good, okay. The Prophet was laughed at by, um, by people of the Quraysh when he suggested that one day the Muslims would conquer both. This provides a contextualized teaching in contrast to the Qur'an, which in its very nature transcends its contextual bounds. That's not really true. Um, I don't know why second year Sam said that. So, I mean, okay, there's lots of things in the Qur'an that are relevant for later times, right? But, but to say that the Qur'an transcends its contextual bounds, I wouldn't say that now. Um, you know, perhaps I would say that the Qur'an in its nature is something... No, no, the, the Qur'an and the Hadith are the same in that regard, actually. Like, they're both... They both have their contexts, but they also have, have you know, wider importance even for later generations of Muslims regarding that context. So it doesn't transcend its context. That's a, that's a mistake that, um, that second year Sam made. This politically charged hadith is a clear example of the way in which the Prophet would refer to the context of the audience. Here he is referring to place names. Uh, which the people would have been familiar with. This is similar to the way in which the Prophet would teach a Bedouin by using imagery familiar to him, i.e. the camels of the desert. <laughs> Some stereotyping Sam's doing there. Okay, of course, we need to teach Bedouins. Well, get the camels out then, if we need to teach the Bedouins something. Okay. Uh, behave yourself, second year Sam. However, this ambitious and motivational imagery in the language of the Prophet as a teaching method for jihad continues into the next hadith from the Sunan of Abu Dawood. Narrated uh, Imran ibn Hussein, uh, the Prophet said, A section of my community will continue to fight for the right and overcome their opponents till the last of them fights with the Antichrist. Uh, 
Okay. The end of days is a key teaching in Islam. The Antichrist or the Dajjal was and should still be understood as the most faith-testing fitna of all times and would have been feared intensely by the companions. Also, as the Antichrist is a clear sign for the coming of the Day of Judgment and is, and is of the last predetermined trials of the Muslim Ummah, it is clear that jihad is something for all times and all people. Indeed, the style of this hadith gives the teaching of jihad both longevity and intensity through the distinctive language and style of the Prophet. Okay, fair enough, right? I think that's fair enough from second year Sam, it is true. Like, I, I should probably behave myself with the YouTube algorithm and stuff now. Like, maybe you'll find me on Rumble instead of on here soon because of the amount of times I've mentioned the J word. But um, in any case, this is an academic article. Um, it does not represent the opinions of, um, of, of Arabic in 60 Steps, and uh, Arabic in 60 Steps condemns all violence, um, all, all politically driven, driven violence, and um, takes no responsibility for the actions of its listeners. Um, hopefully that, that's comprehensive enough. Where are we? Okay, good. We can, f we can further our analysis with the distinctive language and style of the Prophet Muhammad's traditions by looking at another central Islamic teaching. The teaching of brotherhood in Islam is not dissimilar to the teaching of jihad in terms of its aspirations and vocative language, but may require its own set of nuances in terms of the most effective language techniques for its conveyance, such as comparison. Compassion, rather, sorry, not comparison. I was thinking to myself, you already used that, Sam. You already used comparison for the jihad one. But no, compassion is one. Good. Other features of language and style which may be seen here are repetition and comparison. Oh, there we go. <laughs> the Prophet was clearly versatile in his teachings. And as well as being a teacher, he was an authoritative commander. And this is why we see imperatives um, being used so effectively in the tr traditions to convey Islamic teachings. Imperatives maybe would have made more sense for conveying jihad. I don't know. Anyway, we have another hadith on the authority of Abu Hurairah who said, The Messenger of Allah said, Do not envy one another. Do not inflate prices. Do not inflate prices one to another. Do not hate one another. Do not turn away from one another. And do not undercut one another. But be you, O servants of Allah, brothers. A Muslim is the brother of a Muslim. He neither oppresses him, nor does he fail him. He neither lies to him, nor does he hold him in contempt. Piety is right here, and he pointed to his chest three times. It is evil enough for a man to hold his brother Muslim in contempt. The whole, the whole of a Muslim for another Muslim is inviolable, his blood, his property, and his honor. And that is a hadith that is found in Muslim. Okay, uh, this is a good hadith if you look it up. Um, what is the reference? Uh, this is a hadith. Um, maybe I put a website there rather, but um, you can still search for it. It'd be under a bab of jihad, a bab of brotherhood or of ikhwa um, in Muslim. Um, if that is even a title in Muslim, I'm not too sure. But you'd still find it. Um, this is a good hadith probably for studying reciprocal verbs, like form three or form six verbs probably. Uh, form six verbs. Actually, I think I have a, a video on my YouTube channel, the Arabic in 60 Steps YouTube channel, um, titled Learn Arabic by Hugging. Um, yeah, because there's a load of, um, I think I talk about a hadith in that video um, about, uh, yeah, reciprocal verbs. And it may be very similar to this hadith, actually. Good, let's continue. There are two main features of style which make this tradition suitable for conveying Islamic teachings. 
The first to be analysed is repetition, and the second is the use of vocative language and choice of particular vocabulary for the conveyance of an Islamic teaching. The use of repetition of imperatives can be understood and highlighted by looking at some similar examples in the Qur'an. The Qur'an repeats the imperative say or qul when making a short and powerful statement to reverse an un-Islamic practice. At the beginning of the four short surahs um, of the Qur'an, Al-Kafirun, Al-Ikhlas, Al-Falaq, and Al-Nas. Similarly, the Prophet repeats the statement, do not, uh, as, to, as to be clear in his message and affirming in his meaning. Yet the speech of the Prophet is so unique that when a reader ex- is exposed to both the Qur'an and, and the Hadith, he or she will fe- feel a clear difference between the two and can easily distinguish between the two. Um, the Qur'an and a divinely composed relation and the sayings of the Prophet, peace be upon him, a narration composed by a human being. Okay, that's, that's, that's actually from a book called The Impact of the Qur'an on Style of Hadith, actually by Khalid Mahmoud Sheikh. Good, okay, yeah, so that's some further reading for you guys. But um, to be honest, if I, was, if I was doing this from the perspective of someone whose Arabic is much better now, I don't think I would have used imperatives as a language style for conveying the, the message of brotherhood, right? Like, the, the fact that the Prophet has chosen to use form six and form three verbs in this hadith, or reciprocal verbs, makes sense for conveying brotherhood. That's something that I would have used now, but um, nonetheless, we continue. The next is a hadith which illustrates the distinctive language and style of the Prophet Muhammad's traditions. It is far shorter in length and therefore repetition is not a key feature. However, in this hadith we see reference to the individual reader, which incites compassion for, for one's Muslim brother in the heart of the intended audience. On the authority of Anas ibn Malik, the servant, of the Messenger وسلم, that the Prophet said, none of you truly believe until he wishes for his brother what he wishes for himself. Good, okay, so the, the Arabic of this is when the Messenger of Allah says, لا يؤمن أحدكم حتى يحب لأخيه ما يحب لنفسه Good, so this is, um, yeah, as, as I said previously, this is a, this is a direct um, call from the Prophet to the individual reader, to the listener, not just those who are present, but rather any Muslim, right? لا يؤمن أحدكم None of you has believed. None of you believes. حتى until, and put a condition in there, حتى يحب until he believes, until he loves rather. لأخيه ما يحب لنفسه what he believes, what he loves for his brother. Uh, he loves for his brother what he loves for himself. Continuing the analysis of characteristics of the hadith separate from the Prophet, this hadith features the self in the sense that the Prophet refers to the second person directly as the listener. This gives the tradition a direct impact on the listener and an intimate involvement uh, with the importance of the teaching on everyone who hears this tradition. Secondly, this statement of the Prophet that none of you truly believes is indicating that not to comply with this teaching of this hadith is kufr, disbelief and one has stepped stepped outside of the religion of Islam if he has not if he has not complied with this teaching uh, you would not truly believe this is a very commonly cited hadith because it's because of its clarity and simplicity but essential message of brotherhood indeed uh, this is a true embodiment and reflection of his jawami al-kalim so it is not kufr to not to to not want for your brother what you want for yourself okay second year sam has transgressed his his place here, <laughs> really. Um, okay, so the belief is not saying, لا يؤمن أحدكم 
hatta yuhibba li akhihi ma yuhibbu li that i mean i suppose if anything it means that you don't have iman but that doesn't mean that you're not a muslim it doesn't mean that you that doesn't mean that you are a kafir if you don't love for your brother or you love for yourself it does not mean that there's a distinction between the mu'min or the muslim if if the hadith said la yuslimu ahadukum for example la yuslimu ahadukum hatta yuhibba li akhihi ma yuhibbu li nafsihi maybe there'd be a conversation for that but there's a clear distinction um, yeah, for example, we we see this in the Quran. I can use this as a as a way to demonstrate this in Surah Al-Hujurat, where Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "Qalat um, al-Arab uh, amanna." Yeah, the, the the desert Arabs, the Bedouins, they say amanna. Qulam tu'minu, walakin qulu aslamna. Say say to them that you don't believe, but you have submitted. Okay, so they're not believers, but they are Muslims, right? So so we wouldn't say that they are that they are they're disbelievers, right? Second year, Sam. Behave yourself, naughty boy. Okay. We'll continue. Narrated Abu Sa'id al-Khudri. The Prophet delivered a sermon and said, Allah gave a choice to one of his slaves, either to choose this world and what is with him in the hereafter. He chose the, he chose the latter. Abu Bakr wept. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu wept. Uh, I said to myself, why is this sheikh weeping? If Allah gave a choice to one of his slaves, either to choose this world or what is with him in the hereafter, and he chose the latter. And that, and that slave was Allah's apostle himself. Abu Bakr knew more than us. The Prophet said, oh Abu Bakr, don't weep. The Prophet added, Abu Bakr has favoured me much with his property and company. If I were to take a Khalil from mankind, I would certainly have chosen, I certainly would have taken Abu Bakr. But the Islamic Brotherhood and friendship is sufficient. Close, close all the gates in the mosque except that of Abu Bakr. Okay, yeah, so this is referring to the messenger essentially being given a choice by Allah to whether he wants this life or what's in the hereafter. And he chose the latter. And Abu Bakr understood that to mean that he had chosen that it was his time to pass away. Um, and we know that Abu Bakr wept um, at the death of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Good, and then obviously the, the rest of this hadith is illustrating how he loves Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. Good, this hadith models a particular style uh, which has been absent from the previous mentioned. This hadith, uh, the style of the, this hadith includes narrative. Interesting, second year Sam. This distinctive, distinctive feature of, this distinctive feature of, of the Aisha describes <laughs> the Qur'an walking. I don't know what that means, Sam. Obviously, we didn't have Grammarly then. Uh, he was human and a, ta and a tangible way for mankind to feel the message of Allah with their empirical senses. In line with this notion, the role of narrative in the prophetic hadiths is to help the past to slip into every day. Uh, slip into the everyday by relating a story type message which materializes the story okay fair enough i don't know what the sense is of what to do with anything but okay this hadith is a narrative right there are many hadith actually which are narratives they're not simply a quote from the prophet they're like an event this event happened right and it, it lays it out by this thing was said and then this was this one's response and this was this one's response and as a linguistic style of the tradition this allows more characters to be involved, which is a good way of conveying brotherhood. Okay, that's me kind of uh, elaborating on the points that I would have made if I could go back to being second year Sam. Let's rewind a second. <laughs> 
Did second year Sam make takfir on people who don't love for their brother what they love for themselves? I'm just I'm still processing that. <laughs> and and so and, and my teacher gave me a first for it. For me for me making takfir on people who don't love for their brother what they love for themselves. Okay. This had this essay was written ten years ago as well. Think of that. I think it's ten years ago. 2023. I'd have been in my second year in 2013. So yeah, I think I think I think this 10 years ago, almost to the day, in fact, because it would have been the second term, so in the new year, 2013. SubhanAllah. Where am I? I've, I've, I've lost the plot here. Okay, the general mention of brotherhood in the context of the life of the Prophet was essential. Many people had left their tribal protection behind, and, and the, and the uh, remainder of this spiritual brotherhood between the early Muslims would have been essential and emotionally moving. A last general point that seems suitable to mention at the end of this essay, because of its relevance to all of the above hadiths, is the way in which the Prophet's traditions are uniform and can be recognized. A key example of how this is done, uh, done is, rather, the introductory formula. Uh, Martin Specht, I don't know who that is, uh, on reflection. Uh, who is that? Let's look at the uh, oral traditions of the Prophet Muhammad, a formulaic approach. Um, sounds like an essay. Okay, so Martin Specht, if that's how I pronounce your name. Apologies, Martin, if you're watching this. I really doubt it. <laughs> but if you're, if you're watching or listening to this, then uh, welcome to the podcast. And uh, sorry for butchering you, whatever you said. An introductory formula, good. So, explains in his article that this is a consistent tool that can be seen throughout the vast majority of all traditions of the Prophet and a clearly a distinctive feature of style. The introductory formula, for example, in all of the above hadiths is The Messenger of Allah وسلم, said, However, spaycht or spite, spate. In English, we'd probably say spate with that. It'd be like, it's like the number eight, but with sp at the beginning. Spate. However, Spate makes little mention of the importance of this with regards to Islamic teachings. This consistent introduction of formula gives the audience of the hadith a recognizable structure to attract attention. When one hears this phrase, immediately the status of the following words have been raised, as this introductory formula provides uniform level of respect for the hadiths, which is a distinctive feature of the Prophet's language and style, which is important for conveying Islamic teachings in general. Okay, I think, uh, I think I've veered away from the actual speech and language of the Prophet in this, hadith, in, the, in this essay many times, right? I've actually moved more towards the way in which hadiths have been compiled um, yeah, and, and, and the ways in which the companions narrated these hadiths from him. Um, not entirely, like a good, a good number of the hadiths actually mentioned in this um, were actually the direct speech of the Prophet, and so they were true to that message. But um, yeah, and then this at the end, there being a consistent style that kind of raises the, the, the status. It's kind of similar to how before we recite the Quran, we say, A'udhu billahi min rajim or, or, or how Bismillahi ar-Rahman ar-Rahim is at the beginning of, you know, every uh, every surah except for one. Um, it's kind of like that. Maybe something I would have mentioned in here as well, if if it were a, if it were an analysis of um, weaving the Quran 
into the hadith as well. And I probably would have mentioned the ayat at the beginning of Surah Al-Hujurat as well, where Allah says, um, لا أصواتكم فوق صوت النبي. Like, Do not raise your voices above the voice of the Prophet. Right. So we should remember that whenever we hear, uh, hear a statement of the Prophet. And I, in a sense, I'm not giving a fatwa here saying that you, you should always be silent whenever you, you hear a hadith. I, I don't know the rulings on that, but, um, but I would have woven that in to, to hear maybe. Good. Okay, here's my conclusion. Let's see what second year Sam has to conclude. Um, it's a respectable size conclusion, actually. I've read some like early um, Arabic language degree essays from like year one and year two, and the conclusion is like a page. Um, so this is a respectable, you know, one paragraph conclusion. In conclusion, uh, all good conclusions <laughs> begin in conclusion, don't they? Of course. In conclusion, the traditions of the Prophet are clearly very effective for conveying Islamic teachings. The ways in which they are appropriate for conveying the Islamic teachings of brotherhood and jihad are by appealing to the most essential nature of their realities in the life of the Muslim. For jihad, the Prophet's language clearly indicated the ambition and emotional drive that is needed to fulfill such an Islamic obligation. As for brotherhood, the Prophet conveys his teaching with use of clear language in a, con in a comforting tone, which would soothe the hearts of, of the new Muslims in the time of the Prophet, who needed a close brotherhood more than ever. The repercussions of breaking tribal bounds by accepting Islam at such a time, at such a time could have been detrimental. So this, this teaching needed to, conveyed, to, needed to be conveyed with care. By looking at examples from the Qur'an as a platform, from which to launch analysis of the language and style of the Prophet, we see that the Prophet's language and style was essential in giving the world a human being as a guidance. Indeed, by giving the messages of the Qur'an legs and sending the Prophet as an embodiment of the Qur'an, as Aisha stated, we as human beings now know the perfect ways for a human being to convey Islamic teachings. And that, in brief, is the distinctive feature of the language and style of the Prophet Muhammad's traditions in terms of their suitability for conveying Islamic teachings. Of the whole essay, I think I'm most proud of that. I don't know, like, you know, there's been some blunders in there, Sam. But that at the end, I think is actually really nice. Um, I think it's actually also a very kind of textbook conclusion for an for a undergrad essay as well. To make lots of reference back to the actual question and tie up why you said certain things in the conclusion, I think is a very kind of textbook second year um, essay. So all in all, um, I do remember who my teacher was. I, I, I won't say his name, but I asked Allah bless him and, uh, and, and, and protect him. And uh, yeah, but yeah, that, that was written in 2013. Uh, just to remind you, let's come back to what the title actually was and see if, see if you think that I actually fulfilled uh, the requirements of this question. Analyze the distinctive language and style of the Prophet Muhammad's traditions in terms of their suitability for conveying Islamic teachings. Okay, so the actual question was about the actual traditions. It actually was about the hadith. So my reference to things like narrative and um, things that other companions said, like, like, like what Aisha radiallahu anha said and things like that, those things actually were relevant to the question. So, you know, besides me, um, you know, making takfir on people who don't like... <laughs> I still can't get my head around that. What did I actually say? <laughs> what did I? Surely I didn't actually say that, that it actually takes an individual outside of the fold of Islam if they don't love for their brother what they love for, their self, love for themselves. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know if we, need to, if we need to look at that again. But anyway, we've had some good times. 
Thank you so much for tuning in for another episode of the Arabic in 60 Steps podcast. All of you guys on YouTube, if you're not subscribed by now while you're playing it, we are like 35 minutes into the episode. So uh, if you could like and uh, share the video as well for anybody who might be interested uh, in seeing what a second year um, degree in Islamic studies uh, essay is like, because it really is an Islamic studies essay. It's not actually an Arabic language um, essay. Like, and In fact, it was I was only able to do that in my second year because I had a free module in my second year. Um, yeah, Arabic language degrees typically in your first year of your four possible modules, three of them will just be Arabic language. Three of them, it's just really intense Arabic. And then you get one other one. I did Arabic culture, I did. It was awful. Taught by a liberal um, who loved like secular secularism and stuff in Arab countries. And um, yeah, anyway, it was awful. But it was, but you know, it was just something that you had to do in your first year. Um, and then in my second year, I did, obviously, Arabic is only one module in your second year. And then I also did classical Arabic literature, modern Arabic, no, classical Arabic literature, biography and traditions of the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And I think I did modern Arabic literature. Maybe you had to, classical. No, no, I did early Islamic texts. I managed to opt out of the modern Arabic literature. Yeah, so I did Arabic, second year, Arabic biography and traditions of the prophet, uh, early Islamic texts, and classical Arabic literature. Uh, third year was in Palestine, and then in my final year I did Arabic 4, fourth year Arabic, Quran and Hadith studies, uh, reading Islamic texts, and Somali. Those are my four modules in my final year. So that's everything. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu.